सो गुड मॉर्निंग एवरी वन टूडे द टॉपिक दैट हैज़ बिन अलोकेटेड टू मी इज टेलीकॉम सेक्टर जस्ट टू गिव सम ब्रीफ आई स्टार्ट विथ वॉट इज इकोनॉमी एंड वॉट इज सेक्टर वी हैव नेवर बीन गिवन द फॉर्मल डेफिनेशन ऑफ इकोनॉमी एज सच सो इकोनॉमी इज बेसिकली अ सेट ऑफ इंटर रिलेटेड एक्टिविटीज दैट हेल्प अस अंडरस्टैंड हाउ द रिसोर्सेज आर डिस्ट्रीब्यूटेड इट इज कम्प्लीटली थेटिकल डेफिनेशन बट नाउ दीज एक्टिविटीज वेन कैरीड आउट बाई मल्टीपल कॉर्पोरेट्स of the same nature they are clubbed together just so as to understand how the you know various revenues and how the economy is functioning we need to understand how a sector performs and to understand how a sector performs we need to understand how households perform and households performing same nature of activities are just clubbed together that is what a sector is so let's start with what is telecom sector basically what do you guys think telecom sector means simple so something related to communication that's right the simple exactly so the simple threshold to understand whether a company is a telecom sector company or not is whether it charges you for it the connectivity that it provides you or not that's the only threshold now in olden times like uh, there used to be times when mtnl and bsnl was in full force right in mm-hmm. 1990s around so during that time wired connectivity was charged for by them like 16 rupees in incoming and 16 rupees outgoing so that was something that they used to charge for but in today's times all the telecom sector 90% of their revenue comes from wired wireless communications okay and by wireless we mean data internet data that's it so how you utilize it for texting whatsapp facebook downloads transfers anything so here just i have given a brief about what is telecommunication sector companies that transmit data in words audio video across the globe uh telecom equipment telecom services generally what the structure is you know they keep the assets in different companies if you look at vodafone further it will come that how they have distributed the company so human resources of the company actually function for a subsidiary of the holding company the assets are recorded under a different company so this is how the basic functioning works so they create multiple companies and distribute multiple assets in them it's easy for acquisition and you know sale and resale and all so that's quite easy for them so telecom is increasingly focused now it's just saying that trend has changed now more than call we use text and chatting too so that's where the data is consumed mostly although stocks of the telecom sector are volatile in itself but telecom sector as such is a stable sector because now there was i was reading about uh, an article where one person has actually asked out it was an online article in comments he had asked that whether vodafone will go under or not so the man simply replied that i don't think government will allow vodafone to go off because it is now a you know only three companies are there in indian market so monopoly will happen with bharti airtel and jio itself and ambani can flaunt its monopoly very easily so they won't allow is what it said so basically now revenues and expenses telecom sector revenue come from three three places basically call charges that is their wired connections their internet that is wireless connection of various nature of households that is mobile data sim card that we get or the wifi or and private networks that they provide to corporates and corporate households and third is renting circuits now what happens is these big corporates have lot of infrastructure already built in so local internet service providers actually rent they, them or take them on lease so and utilize it for providing their cable connection so a small chunk comes from that but major revenue is internet services now what is agr before understanding its total expenses we need to understand what agr is i'll just uh, tell you in short what happens is airwaves travel through air very basic so government owns the uh, what we can say the air space of india is under the jurisdiction of government mm-hmm. simply government charges you for the 
to the extent of which the air waves and frequency are uh, coming from one tower to another that's what governments charge you for and those are spectrum charges there is no need to go into a lot of details it's quite technical but for understanding it's okay till we know this much so it's a little history about where agr came from but basically that's it so government can charge you for it and what happens is they are not as such mutually exclusive but when we have two towers so the air wave is actually legally owned by only one person so government charges you for the legality like mutually exclusive that if one company is actually utilizing particular area for two towers connection the same company cannot use that you know area or that spectrum. that spectrum exactly company cannot use that area and spectrum so that's what government charges you for and now uh, these are the primary expenses that a telecom sector company faces basically spectrum charges is their highest cost because they go on bidding wars for spectrum charges various only three companies in india but even outside they go for spectrum charges like bidding war hardware and software function uh, half to, hardware and software component is quite a big deal in telecom companies because they have to build those towers and they practically own and lease those towers so they have quite a uh, lot of expenses hardware licensing they have to patent the licenses of various hardware that they use so that other companies cannot use it for a long time rentals salaries support contracts are generally these i told you know like renting circuits and all plus they enter into side contracts with other businesses which don't utilize their infrastructure facilities like for example uh, we know about reliance communications so reliance communication must have some assets but it is not utilizing it so jio or other companies may take in on lease so these are the side contracts side contracts can also happen when let's say one company agrees to provide a network to other company same telecom giant so the, those are the type of support contracts diesel consumption for you know electricity and all requirements uh, interaction with international internet service providers basically international connect connection requires isps and that we have to you know deal with global level like big shots even that market is quite closed as, as such mostly aws and all servers it's relating to that and finally there is electricity charges so these are the basic expenses that a telecom giant goes through and these are quite a lot i mean revenue comes only from the data charges that it charges but rest of the expenses going this way now a brief about telecommunication industry india is world's second largest tele telecommunication industry uh, market actually the telecom market has been split into three segments wireless wireline and internet services for their purpose Why? uh the total subscriber base stood at 1 lakhs uh yes 1167.81 million okay so it india is also second li largest in terms of internet consumption mm -hmm. and uh it has on an average an indian uses 11 gb per month is what the data consumption is after jio came in of course mm -hmm. so uh from 2000 uh so let's see the application download in the country has increased from 12.7 billion in 2017 to 19 billion in 2019 that is of course after coming after jio entered the market you know and provided free data people started you know exploiting it and it's expected to reach 37 billion by 2022 so that is that is the massive scale at which the data consumption is growing all over uh, it has been growing at 11% on a quarter gross revenue to the telecom sector stood at 9.9 billion us dollars per quarter i think yes in first quarter of fy21 the strong policy support from government has also been crucial for fdi has been there and government is i think has you know launched some foreign policies and that say that uh, they are targeting about 100 billion dollars worth of fdi in telecommunication sector in india so the uh, just like to add one point here the thing which you are talking about the usage of internet and all 
the LE density in the whole. Uh, LE density means how much people, according to the population, are using uh, you know services of these telecom users. It is somewhere around 85 percent, 85, 86 percent. Out of which the rural tele density it is just 58.5 percent. Exactly. So which shows that still there is a huge scope in telecom sector to you know cover up that. Uh, in the rural areas itself, they have to. Uh, that's their primary target. Yeah, for that is their primary target. Both Bharti Airtel and Vodafone yeah. for right now. People in. One more thing that uh, these people right now, they are not just sticking to providing the uh, services of yeah. calling and internet, they are also hitting the other services. Yeah. That Payments, mm -hmm. entertainment industry, yeah, you might have heard Airtel Extreme and Airtel Extreme and also they are providing other incentives. And also they are giving cloud and storage services. Right, right. So this is how the telecom sector is right now going into multiple things. That's what I wanted to This is basically because they are actually making quite high operating losses for past few years because <laughs> because of you know ambani so this is the india uh, indian advantages to telecom sector robust demand uh, because as of right now uh, india is one of the biggest consumers of data in the world so uh, wireless data is 11 gb i just showed and india ranks second but the most important part like yash said rural per uh, rural percolation of data is quite important right now you see, in, in urban areas, all of us for internet is quite staple. I mean, we can, we cannot function without it. But in rural areas, still there are places where people are quite relaxed even without the uh, data and all. So there, they need a little more, you know, uh, targeting. But I think when 5G comes up, the scope will even rise now because entire urban population has to, you know, tra uh, you know, tra transport itself from 4G to 5G. So that is quite a big scope. But it will again require high amount spectrum charges because again the frequencies will increase of transport and all. So attractive opportunities with 70% of the population staying in rural areas forming 43.69% of total telephone subscribers of India. So entire uh, population of rural areas actually uh, account only for 43% of total subscribers to telecom industries. See, this, is na, this is before COVID I think, January. Na, huh? Because after COVID na, what has happened due to multiple online lecture scenarios people have started buying phones and exactly. phones, along with the data thing. So now it has increased. Actually, it is from the investor presentation of December 2020. Exactly. So, uh, and one more important thing is the nature in which the telecom giants function is quite different. So, you see in normal FMCG companies, if you don't like a product, you can just switch. Today you eat Maggi, tomorrow you will eat Patanjali. Hardly doubt, doubtfully, but just an example wise. But in case of telecom giants, SIM card has to be changed. Now, SIM card is quite a cheap product but it is still treated like a capital asset because once you have a sim card you are not willing to change it quite a long time so they need to incentivize the new customers more than existing customers that's their nature of business that's why i think bharti airtel has stayed on top because what used to happen is in before covid and before geo they bharti airtel used to be quite expensive as compared to vodafone and idea so what they used to do is they used to always try to keep on incentivizing people to buy theirs and that strategy has continued up until now but vodafone and idea at the time used to be relaxed because they were a little cheaper and people used to prefer them because of being cheap so that's what they are doing right now policy support government has government of uh, of india has unveiled national digital communication policy in 2018 which targets to attract 100 billion of investment i just said and generate 4 million jobs So, uh, government of India is also launching broadband mission where it aims to provide broadband, that is 
internet access to all the villages by 2022 mm-hmm. in 2020 uh, 2020-2021 the department of telecommunications has been allocated uh, an amount of 9 billion dollars that is 184% increase over revised estimate and 60 61% of the allocation is towards the revenue expenditure and remaining 39 is towards the capital expenditure so this is the market size india is the first la- uh, global rank india is the first largest telecom network growth in terms of normal simple growth uh, fastest growing app market a lot of application is being consumed in india because being in a little of capitalistic nature as compared to china the population has been an advantage as for you know businessmen so the second highest number of internet users in the world now the composition of telephone subscribers so 1.7 percent are only connected using wired networks nowadays that is pco and you know normal calls Rest 98.3% of people are actually connected with wireless networks. Now here wireless does not mean only internet, okay? That means SIM card phones, where we can call using this phone without even internet. That's what wireless connection here means. And urban subscribers are 55% and rural subscribers are around 44.27%. These are key trends. Wireless subscription has increased quite a lot since in financial year, you know, from 2007 to 2020. Only you see now this 165 million people used to be using wire, you know, Wi-Fi in 2000 wireless connections. I mean, the Reliance phones and all, you, you know, that used to come in the time. Reliance Industries, I think there was the Motorola small phone that used to come, Blackberry phones. So that was the time when this trend started picking up until smartphones came in. So at the time it was just 165 million, but now it is 1,143.9. That is 1,144 million. So internet subscriptions have increased from 2012 to 2020 at a significant rate from 22 to almost 23 million to almost 719 million. That is the growth. So still there is quite a a lot of opportunity for the growth of the users of internet. Now this is government incentives, satellite based narrow broadband internet things, IOT. Basically government is supporting IOT nowadays. It's planning to at least. Phased manufacturing program. Now, even the manufacturing has been, you know, mostly based on Wi-Fi and networks. That uh, I mean, the hardware functioning in big manufacturing industries is mostly based on now. In, uh, what you can see, a private network. A computer is. Used. I asked one of my brothers. He said a big computer, or you can say a server kind of is installed in mostly advanced production branch, and entire robotics of the machine. If you would have watched on Discovery, how the robotics in you know the BMW showroom and BMW production plant, Porsche production plant function. They are based on basically the IoT and a lot more, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning put together along with the private networks. So there it is. Uh, so government is planning on that phased manufacturing program and 100% F, 100% FDI. So that's with the basically this, that was the basic introduction of what telecom sector is basically so that you will be able to understand what Bharti Airtel and Vodafone idea has been doing. Okay. So again, good morning everyone uh, i am starting off with talking about vodafone idea uh, and we'll start with a little basics about it first vodafone is an aditya birla group voda idea is an aditya birla group and vodafone group partnership that is basically a merger the company provides pan india voice and data services across 2g 3g and 4g platforms with the largest spectrum portfolio available with them being idea and vodafone being a little older branch and established brands now merged together growing demand for data and voice the company is committed to deliver the highest quality services as they claim. I doubt. The company is developing infrastructure to introduce newer and smarter technologies. They are investing in infrastructure, I just said. And making both retail and enterprise cons- uh, customers future ready for innovative offerings. The company is listed on NSC and BSC both. So what uh, it is basically the shareholding pattern. I don't think I have sent you the attached file of shareholding pattern. 
so let's continue the scheme of merger here i have explained what in brief the scheme of merger was the merger was expected to generate about 140 billion annual synergy synergy there means revenue they have also used synergy for cost right but it's cost so uh including opex synergies of 84 billion equivalent to npv of 700 billion so the merger was actually worth 700 billion based on the future cash flows that they were expected to generate the equity infusion was 67.5 billion by idi and 86 billion by vodafone coupled with monetization of stand alone towers of both the companies stand alone towers are the towers which are not used or you know the frequency inefficiency or cutting cost and all they are worthless now so enterprise value was 78.5 billion and provides that the company's strong cash balance over 193 billion post payout of rupees 39 billion to department of telecommunications now this is the data of 2018 when they are hoping that merger will happen and this is the data about the merger additionally the company has an option to monetize about 11.5% uh, percent, 11.15% stake in indus which would equate to about 51 billion of cash as of 2000 18 30 june their net debt balance was 100 1092 billion now this is word of an idea the spectrum holding that they have is about 1846 megahertz so uh, unique gsm cell sites broadband sites uh, and fiber optics so they have around 18000 gsm cell centers that is uh, you know connectivity related you know centers are uh, it's quite technical actually i'll explain it later the broadband sites they have uh for broadband around they have 457000 sites and fiber uh, fiber optics that we call they have around 370000 uh 370600 kilometers worth of fiber optics already installed the enhanced coverage across 4000 now this part is quite important okay the coverage that they give in different villages the rest part is quite technical so uh 487000 villages and towns are covered by vodafone as of now with good range now they are putting only the places where they actually provide some sort decent range not the places where they go uh, 1.2 billion people actually have 2g coverage 1 billion people have 4g coverage and my, uh, they have 27% of market share of telecom subscribers 24% of revenue market share so by people there is 24 revenue they earn 24% and 272 million subscriber base advanced network leading superior customer enhancement now this is i think so the total total holdings on per megahertz okay the strongest spectrum position here is i think of just a moment of vodafone i think because they have around uh, vodafone idea 1163 like i said uh, around spectrum bharti airtel has only 916 and i think jio has 600 so they have been increasing it by certain amount here uh, the total holdings that has been given liberalized holding it's unliberalized holding there is certain difference i don't know exactly what it is i tried to read about it but i didn't understand it was so i am not explaining it right now strong market position in consumer again they are claiming it but yes they are the best services in iot for now in india the best iot internet of things is provided by vodafone india the private networks required for it jio has total wireless subscription base of 33% bharti airtel has 30 again 33% and vodafone has 27% so as i said jio has backed both of them down to certain and it has actually gained more market share than two most established companies mm-hmm. others 7% that that is local internet providers what i'm speaking about strong market position growing business services so bharti airtel is at top in this case strong uh, servicing including global national and sme accounts this what they mean is corporate uh, penetration of internet 
so bharti airtel like i said is always ahead because they have been giving good services to all the people they have been certain little expensive from uh, you know previous times again vodafone idea is second number jio as you know has had focused all of its marketing strategies for per- uh, penetrating it in households at first instance by giving free you know internet and all they couldn't afford to give them to corporate so they are a little low bsnl is probably uh, is almost wiped out and will completely be wiped out within 4 or 5 years and here uh, there are something leading providers for innovative end to end solution to customer and all major these are basically customized services voda idea has been leading in them again i told you they had to do something aggressive enormous in uh, enormous growth potential now here is what village you know penetration of uh, we said telecom telecom sector has to be tele density so mobile broadband primarily is access to internet in india and wireless connections and wired connections so uh, in millions i think it is yes in millions so or i think no they have created an index out of it so i think the index value is only 21 as compared to 705 of the wired and wireless connection so basically 1.7% like in previous charts we have seen now this is smartphone penetration and uh, the 4g wireless broadband penetration so they have just giving you the potential scope of the market that mm-hmm. how big the market is so uh, i think only in 2020 53% of india's population has smartphones and 48% have 4G connections. So this has to go about to 50%, including the rural areas, and then again 5G will come up. So there is a lot of scope in telecom sector, and in long term it's quite a stable sector if you know on which companies to bet and when to bet. So uh, they have given around 2G, 3G, and 4G subscribers still to migrate to 4G. So here uh, the red, the dark red that you are seeing is 2G subscribers. The part total till the yellow. you are seeing is 3g subscribers and the rest is 4g subscribers that are actually left to penetrate so this is how they have given so in usa actually it is reverse sorry my fault <laughs> my fault in united states most of the people are actually covered uh, with 4g internet only 1 or 2% people are with 2g and 3g in india it is 61% people that have been covered with 4g networks up until right now and uh, rest of them are actually in 2g and 3g basis that is again a rural population and low 4g penetration relative to global peers india's 4g penetration has been quite low as compared to china japan and all the you know south korean and other countries asian and european and american countries so supported by compelling macroeconomic backdrop now this is growing and resilient indian economy now indian economy is in the growing stage so it has been growing quite a fast even if you had followed how covid recovery has been doing so it is doing quite well as compared to its peers that's the first upside for telecom giants because population is increasing with the number of young population that we have demand for data is also quite high so there is a big scope as compared to countries like japan or you know us because where birth rate is quite low and young population is less so huge market potential unpinned by large and growing population that's what i said stable and easing inflationary environment now in india inflation has not been that high as compared to any other global peers like uh, you can actually access the data quite cheaply in india so that has been one big plus point because indians are not really in uh, you know willing to pay high amounts for internet services they'll rather buy something out of it but not pay high amounts for internet so inflation government even has to keep an eye on it so they are actually using the cheapness of the data as a marketing stunt and it's working because everyone of us has been 1gb data so it's working and untapped rural population so rapidly growing digital economy so basically use of internet in lockdown has spurred up quite a lot i mean i think what i saw was during before lockdown corporates used to have these big 
private networks provided by them a big uh, telecom giants itself providing network for let's say ey and all their private networks but now after lockdown came they have shifted all the focus on households mm -hmm. and what has happened is their revenues actually have taken a shift mm -hmm. most a big chunk of their revenue used to come from uh, corporate entities and providing private networks now that chunk has also shifted to households because internet consumption is gone up during the lockdown so that's what the growing digital economy here means availability of high speed internet mobile phone and bank accounts cloud data storage cyber security poor digital these are are the items that we have as students all also have explored in uh, covid itself we were not we were not having time to you know look at these things but after we had a lot of time we have actually gone through so much services that are available by, given to us by uh, these telecom giants governance and services demand they have actually been improving their customer service have has anyone noticed with the other day i called vodafone for my old sim and the, the guy replied so that was a big <laughs> big win because for 6 months my vodafone network was completely off and one one day suddenly it started i called them what happened they explained me what happened so it's a big win because they are starting improving their inner governances inefficiencies have been started to taken out now this is long term vodafone idea strategy how they are intending to grow as per their their side focused network investment for superior customer experience that's what years said why is they, why are they betting on 5g they are actually betting on infrastructure because even if 5g doesn't come the towers are always for auction and that provides them with huge wealth even if they tomorrow try to liquidate is what is that's what i am pursuing if they try to liquidate idea and uh, i'm sorry bharti airtel and jio will not the leave, will not leave the opportunity mm -hmm. to tap those you know resources because they want to increase their market share mm -hmm. so their safe bet is you know taking up infrastructure which can be leased out and sold to other entities uh now investment is focused in 16 circles to improve the competitiveness of priority markets that is majorly the metropolitan city areas where vodafone's range are not as good so uh, 4g coverage and capacity expansion to enhance customer experience so they are actually improving the quality of the 4g internet services only that what are they giving and deploying an array of 5g conception technologies for cloud and this this concept will actually start first for corporates because they have more data consumption requirements than households so market innovators to derive average revenue per unit so this is arpu which actually has taught about it and even we know what average revenue per unit is Exactly. So, and if you con compare this yeah, with yeah, the yeah. other countries now, the ARPU in United States is somewhere around thirty-six dollars, thirty-six thirty-seven, which is approximately two thousand six hundred rupees. Mm -hmm. So, the difference is huge. Earlier, the ARPU in India was somewhere around eight hundred to nine hundred rupees. For that is uh, before Jio. Yeah, before Jio entering into the market. So, this is one thing which. Uh, Needs to be, you know, ramped up as soon as possible, which these people are doing slowly and slowly. You uh, see, I am taking a. Uh, I think you are strong. I am against you in this point because for rural penetration, they need to keep their charges low. And they need to keep their charges low. But tell me, would you invest in a company which doesn't have positive operating cash flows? Actually, fundamental. That's a big question. But the point here is. because of the backing by bharti airtel and jio which are actually big giants so at least in them you can invest is what i feel because see see, okay. see telecom sector is going to be required stock price is not going to crash like heavily in next 10 years because telecommunication is something that will stay for long term Now, even in covid when all the industries were shut telecom sectors were still going on like anything i agree with you i agree with you but if the company itself 
itself is not generating money, leave aside our investment in the stock. Look at the company itself. If you are owner of your company, you are not generating revenues, you are not generating cash flows, how would you expand? See, now I ask you, I'll ask you an opposite question. When Jio, for even today, Jio has no, I think I... So why can't these giants do it? Don't, don't they have the assets to do it? Exactly, that's what my point. Actually, they have. They have actually options of... Uh, they are actually uh, in Vodafone's prior, if you have read, they are ready to, you know, uh, what do you get, the sell off some of their stakes in various investments that they have. So they are planning to do go full in. But if you had seen an interview of the owner of Airtel, he was talking that Jio has Reliance family with them. Exactly. for 2 to 3 months. 
so yes. because they have been increasing their efficiency exactly so that's because they are i think they are increasing the efficiency of their working and one more important thing that i wanted to highlight was they are quite largely focused on you know reducing their costs right now i think i should take it to black uh, back, uh, yes see cost optimization and drive organizational efficiency vodafone was actually as i told you quite lenient because it was very confident in its market share during the time but with jio hitting it has all virtually set up and now they understand that they are lacking the efficiency that airtel is showing because for airtel costs were always supposed to be high but the customer service that we are intending to provide were also high that was also good right but right but vodafone was all, always on the cheaper side so services provided will also be cheaper mm-hmm. but now suddenly they have to provide good services at cheaper costs mm-hmm. so you know they are not used to providing good services mm-hmm. as against airtel so i think that's the reason they are increasing cost efficiency optimization focus on business services and fast growing new segments that is rural markets new industries startups smes that's where they intend to go uh, driving partnerships and digital revenue streams like you said digital payments and all so these are the financial highlights see everything is there uh, but if you see here at the end they are making quite huge you know operating losses this is their balance sheet position they have quite uh, high assets in ppe rou assets uh, these are capital work in progresses the infrastructure investment investment property other tangible assets financial assets the loans and all so basically they are they have quite a high loan i think this is equity and liabilities if you look at here uh, long term borrowings so it is around 1 lakh 45000 million 1 1 uh, actually it is 10 uh, 10 million 45000 million 10 lakh 45000 million around so these are the key performance indicators 2g coverage population eop and all that's what we shared in the you know charts and all that's just representing their current positions uh it's in million so subscribers fy 30421 and here see here uh, i think the quarter 3 was actually their lowest now in quarter 4 i think there will be expected uh, subscribers will be quite high but right now they are low and these are operational highlights uh, basically they have given that we are invest ready to invest in 4g technology and all here the most important thing that i wanted to highlight was you can read these points later they are not you know as important but you can still go through them uh, i think the most important point was fund raising on september 2020 the board of directors has approved for raising more funds that's an important thing vodafone is expected issue of equity shares or securities convertible to equity shares gdr adr foreign currency convertible bonds warrants composite non issue to apply for equity share and combination thereof of rupees 150 billion so they are actually planning on re- fund raising they got an approval uh, preferential allotment and private placement quarterly report december 20 page 14 18 qualified institution they are actually going for private placements i don't think they'll you know come for ipo because no one is going to trust them <laughs> so it is mostly private placements that they are planning from fpo fpo i'm sorry so issuance of one uh, secured non secured convertible debentures to upgrade the amount of, of 150 billion and this is what i talked about in you know if you have uh, listened to the merger slide there is say that indus stake they were you know willing to release up to 11.5% now they have indus bharti merger and vodafone ideas along with the parties indus group bharti airtel indus towers and bharti infratel agreed to proceed with the completion of indus infratel merger on november 19 2020 the scheme became effective vil sold its 11% stake in indus on completion and they have uh, of the merger 
of cash consideration of 36 37.6 billion in accordance with terms of agreements actually they were planning to raise around 69 billion if you 69 or around 59 billion i think from the 11% stake but now it is saying that the ihl has sold 11% stake and on completion of the merger the cash consideration is 37.6 so they have i think have been there is a big loss or i think it was 39 maybe but they have they are in loss that's for sure out of consideration receiving infrared vil has also made a payment of 24 billion to merged tower so pre payment of 24 billion has also been made i think so they are not in a good position i would say now these are the stock market highlights here they have given the entire quarterly report how the stock price fluctuated from about i think uh, it went from around lockdown in 2 rupees to now 12 or 13 rupees i think so that's the overall yearly change in the price this has been just given you know just for the sake of giving there is nothing important now these are the insights this is the report of edelweiss securities considering vodafone ideas capital constructs is executing well so they are improving their efficiency but unless new capital comes in they are done so and one more important thing i think various foreign institutional investors and uh, i think mutual funds have increased their stake in vodafone because i think they are hopeful on vodafone that soon they will have some capital and they will function well because of the changes that they are making so that's for about the presentation of vodafone idea uh good morning everyone today i am going to give a brief presentation on bharti airtel so starting with it uh, so uh, first of all before jio entered the market uh, there were eight players only as you can see there airtel idea vodafone uh, reliance communication airsel bsnl and uh, telenor and tata docomo and after jio it became 3 plus 1 means bsnl is not uh, a major player now <laughs> so it's 3 plus 1 like airtel jio and vodafone idea and after that you can see uh, indian mobility quarterly revenues which were in uh, financial year 17 it was 9100 uh, million dollar means before jio entered the market and after jio in 2019 it became nearly 8000 million and after means 2 uh, to 3 years and currently it's now at uh, previous levels means around 9300 so because of jio means we have seen a, a downfall in revenues and after the minutes of usage per subscriber per month it has increased uh, from uh, 615 minutes per month to 761 minutes it means the calling time which we mm -hmm. use our data and uh, along with that we have seen a growth in 4g subscriber base from 432 to 6 686 million uh and increase in data traffic means per month uh, on an average person uses 12 gb of data so it has also increased means from 1.4 to 12 it's a huge rise so we can see the effect and now going on with vodafone uh, sorry airtel uh, they have their customer base is 45 crore so it's very huge means nearly uh, uh, 40% of indian population is covered by them and they have presence in 18 countries uh, in africa only they have presence in 15 major countries so in india and along with that pakistan and i think those countries and third largest mobile service provider in the world and their services provided by them are this so i am going to cover that in other slides 
Mm, after that, uh, they have forty-two thousand towers. Means across all the twenty-three uh, 23 circles in India, they have forty-two thousand towers. So means what happens like if you suppose means you are traveling in Maharashtra circle, and after that you enter in Rajasthan. So what will happen means if you don't have means if suppose Airtel doesn't has its uh, spectrum in Rajasthan. So what they do like they take uh, spectrum from other companies on rent and they provide service like this so when you travel your network automatically switches and sometimes you can see that data roaming uh, earlier you data roaming used to apply so currently that doesn't happen because of uh, these services means they have changed to lte and other so that is not happening right now means you don't have to pay for data roaming earlier we used to pay means we used to recharge data roaming back and currently we don't do that because of lte and then uh, they have india's first bank payment app was started by airtel and they have uh, 19400 employees and presence in 15 countries in africa so total world population covered is 24% and indian population coverage is 95 means uh, almost those many people are using airtel services and after that yeah so from here uh, uh, what services are provided by airtel i have covered here wireless services means mobile data and calling service so they have bundled 4g packs and uh, wifi services and other things so revenues from uh, mobile services so this is for india we can see that in fy 2020 it is around uh, 460000 million rupees and ebitda is around 170000 so year on year growth is 11% in revenues and 80% growth in ebitda and in africa you can see 240000 revenue and uh, 1,7000 ebitda so 13% and 28% growth is there and broadband service means uh, broadband means those uh, private wifi services provided by airtel so it's india's largest broadband player it has 2.4 million customers uh, and it has access in 111 country uh, cities uh, means mostly major cities are covered like pune mumbai those mm-hmm. so they have scope to expand in smaller towns so they can do that as well and in in 2000 2019-20 they pro- started their airtel uh, fast broadband means 1 gbps speed means they have their gaming plan which they say it cost for 3000 nearly 4000 rupees so per they provide month. yeah per month and speed is 1 gbp per second hmm. per second so that's their costless plan and base plan means they along with that they provide subscription for uh, other ott platforms as well and see re- revenues are a bit less means only 22 millions uh, 22000 million so they have huge opportunity to grow in this sector as well so here are their different plans so this is the basic plan 500 rupees per month they provide 40 mbps uh, speed so it's okay means 40 is good and then 800 rupees plan for 100 mbps and this is 200 mbps means this is their base plan means as per them okay <laughs> so airtel business this is other uh, different something difference means we don't usually use their services these are provided to corporates and other business entities like they are the same services are provided there but in a bundled package means uh, mobile data wifi everything in one place 
so this is their other service so they have 3 lakh kilometer uh, optic fiber and those are the things and presence across 50 countries covering 50 countries so and revenue is 1 lakh 30000 million mm. and digital tv means dts service airtel extreme so they have 16 million customers over there and channels provided are 645 with 85 in hd channels and they have means along they have introduced like mi fire tv stick you must be knowing mm -hmm. so airtel extreme is now uh, uh, they have provided like that means uh, you can see netflix and other so like that thing so loss for financial year 2020 was 32000 crore means so they are suffering huge losses because of geo and I haven't focused on uh, financials that much because everyone knows they have negative cash flows and negative profits. So I have only highlighted this much only. And then revenue mix is for nearly 50% from mobile, 25 from mobile services in Africa, uh, home services, digital TV, Airtel business. And so means they can expand in home services, tele, uh, digital TV and broadband services. So they have scope for the uh, in that field as well. So what is spectrum? So as Siti said and yes said, it is invisible frequencies. So uh, uh, recently in that uh, bidding which happened, so Airtel bidded for 355 megahertz spectrum. Mostly they bidded for 355. So what happens like means I will tell you. So this is one frequency. This is one frequency. One loop is one frequency. So what one megahertz means? Uh, this will rotate for 10 lakh times in one second. So this is one uh, frequency uh, and one megahertz means 10 lakh rotations in one second. So if uh, suppose you are referring to 1800 megahertz, so this would be means small loops. So data speed will be very high but uh, distance code will be very less. So uh, now what Airtel has done, they have built it for 355 megahertz spectrum. And uh, <laughs> So I wasn't understanding that properly. So means what it means that they have bidded for this one means uh, they can cover larger distance. So because of which uh, they can gain access to 90 million new customers means in rural areas and other places. So in this spectrum means this bid so they can increase their subscriber base and increase profits as well. And then this is what spectrum means and this information is for uh, quarter 3 uh, FY 2021 means from here everything is latest till 30 December 31st December so their revenue split is 54 Indian mobility uh, 27 in Africa and non-mobility means all other services means Airtel business broadband services digital TV and their EBITDA spread is here and then so now this is market share means Airtel in financial year 19 their uh, subscriber base was 31% and Vodafone idea was ahead of them means they had 33% but now uh, in uh, quarter to FY21 uh, Airtel has means first of all Airtel maintained its subscriber base but uh, idea uh, their subscriber base was falling means from 33 to 27 and now it's 23 only and Airtel has increased by 2% means it's now 33 so here you can see subscribers added per quarter means earlier 14 million were added then 17 and uh, it's for 
this is for Jio, this is for Airtel and this is for Idea. So Idea is always at negative. But in January only they have added 1 million and Airtel has added latest in January 5 million. So they are increasing and their ARPU is best, means 166 and yeah, Ideas is the worst. <laughs> 121. Yeah, and this caused the COVID disruptions which has caused means their uh, FY21 means contraction in GDP is nearly 24% but their increase in revenue is 22 because of this uh, data usage which we all need due to work from home and others. So you can see that means 18% uh, increase in voice, 60% increase in data usage mm. and then 50 means nearly 16% increase in home customers. It means it refers to those broadband services and other things and it is 8.7% increase in digital TV, television services and along with that what Airtel provides to businesses means uh, secure cloud means they provide cloud services they have eight data centers in India for this service and along with that all service in one plan means they have an app so you can access all services over there uh, they have partnership Amazon web services along with that blue jeans and uh, semantic for uh, security reasons means antivirus for mobiles and other then this is uh, their revenues for different quarters. So for the latest, you can see it's 10,000. Uh, EBITDA is uh, 4,500. Uh, CapEx is 2,300. So they are increasing now. Hmm. And then operating free cash flows are uh, 2,200. So it's so, so number. So in this quarter only they have seen profit means eight, uh, nearly 853 crores profit in uh, quarter three so after six uh, six quarters of losses they have seen profit now because of those because they have they are increasing the prices also mm. along with what is agr is means that uh, so i will come to the main point only so why did this agr dispute started so what the department of telecommunication says that agr should be calculated on total revenue means from other services also mm -hmm. and what these companies are saying that AGR should include only those from core services means only spectrum charges and uh, only mobile services but they are calculating on broadband and also so the dispute is in on this only so Airtel's liability was 44,000 crore out of which they have already paid 18,000 and balance is 26,000 nearly but Airtel says that uh, their dues should be only 13,000 means dots calculation are wrong. So in last week only uh, Supreme Court was going to hear about this case but they have postponed that uh, so the case didn't took place, take place and the payment uh, means the terms of payment which are decided are means till 31st March 2021 they have to pay 10% of this 43,000. So Airtel says that they have already paid 18,000 so they won't pay this 10% and the remaining will be paid in 10 years in equal installment. So the AGR deals is like that. So that's it for Airtel. Good morning everyone. Uh, today's topic uh, which is assigned to me is government bonds. But before diving into what government bonds are, 
let's try to understand what are bonds bonds are instruments of investment where you get fixed amount of return so bond is basically the loan given by the public at large or the institutional investors and not by bank even bond even banks can participate in bonds but it's not only the bank which is giving the loan or which is giving the money who is whoever is issuing the bond and the the person who is issuing the bonds issues them at a fixed rate and generally bonds aim at aim at a large long tenure even though there are short term bonds but if you see look take a look at the if you take a look at the amounts good if you take a look at the amounts the amounts which are issued in the short term are very less as compared to the bonds which are issued in the long term so why do companies or anyone issues the bonds as we all know bank lends money at a high rate of interest and it borrows money or it takes deposit and provides interest at a lesser amount a lesser percentage so now the corporates or the government has an advantage of what we can say borrowing the money by issuing bonds by giving them higher rate of interest than the bank offers but it also gains as in if it had borrowed from bank it would have to pay more interest so generally they prefer going for bonds and the another reason is it does not dilute dilute their control over the company so these are the main reasons for issuing of bonds it's not specifically related to government bond or corporate bond so the corporate bond part will be covered by tushar i'll be covering the government bond part so now before by getting in so before understanding any technical term or getting into any deeper technical things let us first understand its jargons like jargons are nothing but it's they are used to make something easy so if i say a word you get the its meaning so we, i say breakout instead of explaining whole the whole process we know what breakout is so it's easy to easier to communicate so under, let's understand the jargons in the when we come across the bond term or the bond market the first and the most used is ytm the so ytm is yield to maturity yield to maturity this is like xirr because what happens is generally uh, the bond if you see whenever a company is issuing bond or government is issuing bond we see that their face value is 1000 and their coupon rate is 10% and their tenure is 10 years so what we infer is they are giving us 10% return on 1000 which is 100 per year for 10 years but this is not considering the time value of money and time value of money plays a very important role in the world of finance like majority of our decisions in the finance world are taken on the basis of time value of money so the term ytm yield to maturity what is does it takes the takes in what we can do takes into consideration the current price of bond that is current price of bond which is the current outflow then it takes the future expected coupon payments coupon rate payments which are the future inflows and 
on the basis of it it calculates the return here they also assume that the future inflows which we get are reinvested at the same rate which is offered by the bond so this gives us so whenever we are aiming for the bond market we always hear the term yield to maturity because that's the real yield which we are going to get if we hold the bond till its end so discounted yes it's yes 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 no that's why i said it's a technical but if you take it in sense it's the time value which we are considering so there was a yield to maturity so that's why we take into consideration yield to maturity more than the other things which are current yield current yield is coupon rate upon current price of bond it gives us a current yield if you are going to hold on a bond for a short term this is a good thing for you to consider but if you are going to hold it for a long term uh, it's of no use because bond prices react in a slow manner as compared to the stock prices but they do react in a long term so if you are going for a short term this is a good uh indicator which you can aim at because current uh, this gives us the what we can say the adjusted return which we are getting on the bond so if the price of bond is more then the the effective rate which we are getting uh, effective in, what we get effective return which we are getting will be less than what the bond says now let's come to the government bonds like these are the important jargon which i feel which should be understood the rest all are not that difficult so can anyone like like we can all guess why does government issue bonds but can you tell me the can you give me the more specific reason ki what do you think government issues the bonds right to finance the the deficit right any other reason that is in turn to spend more on whatever reasons might be than they have another reason is also to what we can say adjust the liquidity for example if right now the inflationary pressures in usa are very high and these are reflecting quite badly so the chances are the fed might buy back some of its bonds not buy back the fed might issue new bonds because it wants to curb the rate of inflation because the rate at which the people are consuming is faster than what they are expecting so when the government wants to curb something liquidity problem or they want to get into uh, what we can say the uh, insert the like inject more liquidity into to market they can also use the instrument of bonds 
देर आर टू टाइप्स ऑफ गवर्नमेंट बॉन्ड्स दिस आर टाइप्स बेस्ड ऑन रेट वन इज फिक्स्ड इंटरेस्ट फिक्स्ड फिक्स्ड रेट एंड अनदर इज फ्लोटिंग रेट नो फिक्स रेट इज एक्स रेट विच दे हैव प्री डिसाइडेड प्रायर टू द इश्यू ऑफ बॉन्ड वाइल फ्लोटिंग रेट इज द इट बेसिकली कंसिस्ट ऑफ टू कंपोनेंट्स वन इज फिक्स कॉम्पोनेंट एंड अनदर इज वन इज द बेसिक रेट अनदर इज द फिक्स्ड स्प्रेड नाउ दीज थिंग्स आर डिसाइडेड बाय द गवर्नमेंट और द सेंट्रल ऑथॉरिटी विच इश्यूज द बॉन्ड जनरली दे रिवाइज दिस फ्लोटिंग रेट most probably after 6 months or 1 year and they don't they usually don't go for longer time period to revise their rates but this is these are the most preferred bonds and they are they also do issue this but these are quite rare they don't ever like regularly indulge into this because i don't know the reason but this is the this what this is what the statistics have told till now फोरमोस्ट कंसर्न अबाउट अ बॉन्ड इज इट्स टू मैच्योरिटी दैट इज द interest rate it offers uh, if we hold it till the date of maturity so the yield of yield to maturity gives rise to another important term in the bond market which is the yield curve the yield curve the orally the yield curve should be in this manner here there's it's the number of years on x axis on y axis it takes the interest rate so in short term so in short term the bond offers less rate of interest and in longer term the bond offers high rate of interest now why this should be the case this means that in longer term you have a better prospect as a country or because this is these are the government bonds so these are related to the credibility of a country or the country's central financial central bank so if in the long uh, if in the long term your rates are less than that of in the short term then this is a sign of worrying for you because people are not placing their confidence in you for a long term so this is a what we can say a dangerous signal signal for any country because no person would what we can say invest in your country whether it be bonds or then the equity market because eventually these both are interlinked in inverse manner but yes they are so this is the normal curve which every country expects to achieve but there are certain variations in it 
Now there are a lot of reasons why this curve might change its shape. The first reason is the interest rate by the central bank, central bank, right? Because if the rate is increased by the central bank, then obviously the the banks will have to charge more, and as compared to the government bonds, they will also give more interest on the deposits. So people will go for the deposits rather than going into the government bonds. So this is the main or this is a important reason why the interest rates or the yield curve will be affected. The another reason is the credit worthiness of credit worthiness of government. Now this is a very important and a very what we can say critical thing to look upon. because whoever issues these reports they are they should be from like this is my personal opinion whoever issues the uh, report of credibility they should have a, what we can say a proper background in this because there are many agencies which issues the credit ratings and all and it's really difficult to judge a country's government at in a such a small span of time so generally i i do think that these reports do take place but at the end it's the hunch of the investors and the big portfolio managers which dominate the game like if they are confident if they are in if they are having good connects with the government and all these things then they are confident in it if they don't have even if the government is good they will not be willing to taste the risk the reason might be because they are the ones who are investing right in right as individuals we cannot be the people who are they are sort of So <laughs> these are the two main reasons. Now this is another I would say yield yield curve, which is also seen in many countries. Like this is an inverted yield curve. this is the exactly opposite of what an what a country wants like short term bonds are giving higher returns and long term bonds are like going down so this is the probably the worst case scenario that country tries to avoid so while shifting from that worst case worst case scenario to best case scenario we also see that the the yield curve also gets flattened because your long term bond yields are rising and your short term bond yields are falling so this gives rise to a, a con a, not a condition but a, what we can say a scenario which takes place where your long term bonds are bond yields are as same as your short term bond yields mm -hmm. so there is a dilemma between the investors or the investors are like indifferent mm -hmm. to whatever wherever they are investing right so this is the better case than the last case like the worst case scenario but even though you have there's no guarantee that which uh, in which direction you are headed until your long term bond yields are slightly higher than your short term bond yields i guess this happened in the case of greece i don't know the exact case of what it uh, what happened but we'll try to go it into deeper yes. Sure.
So, Prana have uh, will cover the government bonds part. So, I will take the corporate bond market. So, uh, basically, if you have to divide the bond markets in three categories, so most obvious three categories are corporate, then comes the government that is sovereign bonds, and then comes the money market or CPs or CDs that I will discuss. So, right now, the penetration or the volume of corporate bond uh, market uh, in India is a relatively lower as compared to the other countries and same with goes with the other two markets as well uh, the reason we will discuss later uh, let's take a look at uh, before going di directly going to the corporate bond like, let's uh, uh, look at what are the risk possessed by the market uh, bond markets so these are broadly four is that any bond market or any uh, bond as a security would possess the first is a credit risk uh, that is the risk that the bond uh, is not up to the quality or it's not uh, that much worth uh, so the, there are credit ratings uh, assigned to the different bonds second is the liquidity risk uh, that the liquidity risk here in sense that let's say i'm a holder of a bond and tomorrow if i want to sell the bond there is not a buyer available so there is a, that uh, that kind of liquidity risk third is the interest rate which is pursued by all the bonds uh, be it government or be it corporate bond that the changes in interest rate and uh, that uh, changes the prices of the bonds and fourth one is the default risk the default risk is that the bonds are not redeemed or that are not repaired. So the last year we saw the Franklin debt fiasco that happened. Uh, so that was the prominent example of credit risk and default risk. So the, basically the credit risk was that the Franklin as a mutual fund had an, uh, what we can say, name for that they invest only in uh, low credit and high risk bonds. So they basically invested in uh, at bonds with the lower credit ratings. But eventually they offered a higher uh, uh, rate uh, returns and what happened at that time they received huge redemption uh, request and they had a fear to that the companies which uh, in uh, the bonds of these other companies which they held would default so they had to close down their uh, five six uh, mutual fund schemes so yes these are the broad four is that any bond market will possess uh, and it depends on security security like in the credit risk in government bonds would be much lower as compared to the private uh, or uh, corporate bonds yes so this is the scenario now how you can issue corporate bond uh, as an entity in india now there are both uh, two ways public and private placement now the private placement is more explored uh, i read the report on rbi and they said that the most of the uh, issuance of bond markets or corporate bond markets takes place through private placement rather than public so yes, these are the two prominent uh, sources where we can issue the bond markets and obviously it is dominated by finance and infrastructure companies because these are the two sectors or two, uh, what you can say, areas of economy where the finance is actually required on a uh, constant basis. So around 80 to 90% of corporate bond in market uh, constitute of uh, finance bonds issued by finance and infrastructure companies. Currently, the size of corporate bond market in India is 33 lakh crore. That is the value of corporate bond uh, bonds outstanding is 33 lakh crore. And it is currently around 16% of GDP. Uh, so that's the indicator which is used. And uh, I have written that it is well above, uh, well below some of the developing Asian economies. So why is that? Because the Asian developing economies like Malaysia, Singapore have a higher percentage of a corporate bond to GDP ratio. It's hovers around 32 to 40%. So in India comparatively that, uh, what you can say, the volume or that uh, 
size of corporate bond market is not big much as compared to other countries and if you talk about the western countries like us and it's well above 100% uh, as compared to the uh, as compared to the india mm. and this is the report that i read about the uh, this is the report issued by the crisil that is credit raising agency and it is expects that the bond market's uh, size of uh, or, uh, by 20 uh, fiscal year 2025 would be 60 to 65 lakh crore so this is just their expectation actual figures we don't know and obviously i as i said the credit ratings do matter here and yes uh, there are various uh, scales of credit rating but the thumb rule is that all the uh, credit ratings which are uh, rated above aa and above uh, that those are uh, treated as investable uh, bonds and below that are speculative in nature uh, yeah so this is the projection of that crisil uh, credit rating agency how they see that how the supply side of corporate bond uh, in india would be dominated over 5 years so currently we, as you can say that uh, see that there is a th- outstanding debt of around 33 lakh crore mm-hmm. infrastructure sector it is expected to generate additional uh, 5 points or 7.5 lakh crore uh, that is basically because of the national infrastructure planning project that government has announced corporates obviously will issue 3 lakh crore uh, there are nbfcs and housing financial corp- companies that will issue banks would uh, add and <coughs> this is the interesting part that crisil has added on its own like they expect uh, the government to take some uh, like uh, innovation parts like they are saying that uh, there should be more invest that is infrastructure uh, investment trust and reits that is real estate investment uh, investment trust and they should add additional pump or uh, uh, supply the bond uh, <coughs> in in india in in the market so that is expected to hover around 65 to 70 lakh crore so this is uh, this is the net net uh, supply or uh, net supply of bonds in india by 2025 so these are just projections or expectation yes the and the big part would obviously played by the nip that is national infrastructure fund so the government is planning around uh, 100 uh, 11 lakh crore uh, of investment in next 5 years and the 40% or 30% of that would be dominated by the infrastructure roads and energy mm. so what would be the key play, uh, key players to invest those corporate bonds uh, here it is stated that the mostly government owned uh, companies such as power finance corporation rural rural electrification corporation and indian railway finance corporation so obviously these companies would issue bonds and the money that is raised would be invested in uh, creating that infrastructure and that uh, uh, and uh, uh, spend on the roads and uh, that see there is a different uh, i would like to uh, highlight this uh, difference between the government bonds and bonds issued by the government institution though it is bonds issued by government institution that would also classify into corporate bonds rather than it is uh, including the government bond uh-huh. so this is the demand and arithmetic like how the demand would be uh, how the demand is expected for the corporate bond market so the currently uh, as it is said 33 lakh crore is a currently corporate bond outstanding the key players are fm uh, that is mutual funds uh, insurance uh, uh, companies retirement funds banks for uh, foreign portfolio inv- uh, investors and additional mentions so these are some additional mentions that crisil has added so if you look at the key players both in supply side and both in demand side you can see there is not a mention or that is not a mention of retail so the penetration of retail or the in uh, what you can say inclusion of retail in corporate bond market is not that much uh, active or that much not present in india 
so why uh, the doubt that came to my mind like for retirement funds there is obvious reason like retirement funds are basically what the epfo that is employee provident fund organization and that is another one is national pension so they would tend to invest in bonds for a safer return and safer return mutual funds obviously there is a uh, another part of asset allocation so mutual funds you will mutual fund would like to invest in debt mutual funds as a part of hedging or diversifying their risk so i just wanted to add the point that you mentioned that there is no uh, significant investment by retail investors but what we mean by mutual funds and uh, retirement funds is actually it is the money of retail it's investors what i wanted to say because huh? you are looking at the way of organizations which are putting into the money mm. but like, who is giving money to organizations mm. it is just a retail investor uh, substance over a pound they are not uh, indulging in it directly because of the returns perspective but many people invest into mutual fund just because example he is a mutual fund broker or something like that i give him money i he gives me uh, that he tells me i'll give you some uh, 13% return i say okay i don't know where he is investing right so people don't know people are not uh, as you rightly said people are not uh, aware of uh, the bond market itself but they are confident over retirement institutions which mm-hmm. you know uh, are investing into the bond market ultimately so yeah, retail public has an exposure they don't know they have an exposure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing it's not by choice it's not by choice uh, but itself it seems a bit uh, you know difficult situation uh, as per me because retail public would not like to go into bond market directly because india is a developing nation right now and there are better opportunities in mfs Mm-hmm. considering uh, small caps mid caps or such focused uh, equities so it might be one another right right there is a one more concept called as bond etf from tech side okay, like yes, yes, absolutely and um, it's just by uh, i can say coincidence i was uh, in my arbitration firm i got to uh, read a policy book of an insurer company non life insurer so there they had mentioned there are different policies and one was investment policy so i just scribbled down the pages like i thought like how the insurance sector would contribute to the corporate bond market mm-hmm. like how the insurance companies would have to contribute so in that uh, in their investment policy this one mentioned i have just written that and scribbled the what whatever the investment a general insurance company can do so around uh, 70 to 80% 70 to 80% contributed to central and state government bond then there was a loans to state government for housing mm-hmm. uh, it's like uh, in the maharashtra we have mahada so mahada if you have to uh, further uh, develop project so it, they will issue their bonds and uh, general insurance company can invest in their bonds and last was the infrance uh, social sector so they will have to issue the bonds uh, they will have to invest the bonds which are back, uh, backed by some infrastructure assets and uh, there was one more uh, rider that only rated securities uh, will be used for the investment purpose and another one was uh, yes these are the prohibited investment but the rating of the bonds is uh, should be a and above mm. and there rbi has mentioned the which uh, credit rating agencies can do uh, ratings so there are five credit rating agencies so this is the reason why insurance companies are uh, are not allowed to have their uh, excess cash in, to be invested in other uh, uh, other asset classes so they are uh, tend to invest in uh, in bond market so as we said like the supply side uh, the total supply side constituted around 65 to 70 lakh crore 
but on the other hand the demand side is just constituted 60 to 65 like crore so what's that gap uh, so how that gap will be filled um, these are just projections like krishil uh, is saying that that gap uh, fir would be essential to fill that gap like how they will try to fill that gap i don't know like if they have the other asset classes like equity and why they would prefer the bond market so the reason cited by them is the good tax incentivization like there is a currently withholding tax or something for holding bonds so if government tries to eradicate that or even reduce that so that would help and there is another one good point that is esg profit so currently esg in india is not picking up but if you consider the western countries esg is a a much considered factor for looking uh, for an investments like it csr plus something so esg covers all the thing and there have been, there are indexes uh, in western countries based on only on esg and they have delivered good returns so while investing and here is the global asset under management uh, basically uh, considering only esg investing so currently it is around 40 trillion dollars and it is expected to grow so as a, the time uh, decay or time passes the more importance would be given to the esg profile and in india i think they uh, i'm sure that in a decade or more esg profiling will also come to india and it would be a good factor to uh, to be considered while uh, investing in company so obviously when fi is looking to invest or to subscribe to the bond uh, of a particular organization so that esg profile would obviously considered so that uh, how crisil says or things that how this gap would be filled uh, between the demand and supply side huh. so the why bond market is not or the corporate bond market is not uh, explored in india as compared to the other many uh, developing countries so the first is the illiquidity or the less liquidity that uh, uh, prevails in the market ha huh. so the less liquidity in secondary market like there is not uh, active volume or huge volume that is uh, traded uh, in the market so fis or fpis are reluctant to go for that market so let's say yeah, if i hold the uh, some bonds and tomorrow if i am not getting buyer to uh, when i am willing to sell it so what's the point in holding or wishing to uh, subscribing to the bond Uh, that one so that's the one reason like illiquidity uh, because of illiquidity most people are reluctant to trade in that market second is the lower cost of borrowing through oil that is external commercial borrowing so this was point highlighted by rbi itself they said that the last corporations can raise debt from overseas even after considering their hedging risk and adjusting risk their cost of borrowing in the overseas is relatively lesser than cost of borrowing in india in domestic market so the organization tend to issue or tend to raise their funds from uh, overseas rather than uh, issuing in india like we uh, we have we all know that from navishik sir that our uh, reliance industry carries a huge debt uh, which is issued from the overseas market so that's one of the reason why the corporate bond market is not picking up in india uh, third is third one is the dependence on banks and nbfcs for prime primary source of working capital this one uh, reason was also cited by rbi itself so if you see in the western countries uh, for the even their working uh, organization or corporates for their working capital uh, requirements they don't uh, too much focus on or they don't depend on, on banks or mbfcs but in india if you compare as to the western countries or even asian uh, uh, some economies the 
tendency of the corporates or organization to depend on banks or working uh, capital uh, to depend on banks or indices for uh, working capital is more instead they can use cps so what are the cps basically so cps are basically commercial paper so let's say suppose i am a reliance industry i need uh, some kind of a uh, working capital for example so currently what we get uh, what i do i let's say ashish is a bank i go to ashish and ask for i need a working capital so uh, after some scrutiny or that ashish will give me a loan but instead of the what cp does it it basically uh, underwriting and writing by reliance industries only but it is basically for short duration let, let, let's say i require working capital for 3 months after 3 months i will be paid so what will i do i will uh, sign an underwriting and we will issue that paper to the uh, asset or all the bank but the difference between working capital and cp is the cp is credible so if asset requires so or the bank requires fund in one month uh, the bank can credit with another bank the cp and obviously i am as an organization i am a reliance industry so obviously the credit is should be low and tradability would be greater so that the avenue that can be used by uh, organization or <coughs> banks and that is not well promoted in india i think uh, because of the fourth point the fourth point is the <coughs> sorry inability to gauge the credit risk of unsecured lending that is heavy asset banking in india the proportion of the collateral or the security that is required for a loan is among the highest uh, uh, as compared to the other countries like we will require more amount of collateral or security for a particular amount of a loan so it's our inability to like yes obviously the uh, gauge the credit risk of unsecured lending and uh, what do you say whenever i want to whenever i want some response there is obviously notion that i need to have heavy asset at the back so that i can in uh, in uh, in case of default uh, that asset will be monetized to use that right. but if we compare the western countries the scenario is not there like their uh, ratio of the run into over 100% so basically it's like i am having 100 but i am carrying a debt of 123 so how would i access pay that so that is unsecured lending part so that needs to change uh, like if any if we uh, Uh, there is a concept called as cds uh, that is credit default swap uh, the whole 2008 scam uh, financial uh, mm-hmm. collapse or financial crisis was happened due to because of that so that is the uh, what you can say a probable uh, option uh, of how the unsecured lending can be used i will explain in uh, the next slide so these are the four five points that i think or that is a return or a, that is that are most probable uh, why the market is untapped in india Uh, coming to the fourth point, that heavy asset-backed lending, do you think that scenario will change in India? I personally do not think that it will change yes, the for a very long period of time. No, it won't change. No, it won't. Because we are heavily regulated. We are mm-hmm. heavily regulated, and even we can say that our laws are not up to the mark. Up to the mark. If you right. consider, see, even US market is heavily regulated, but there are laws up to the mark. Therefore. Even if there is some kind of unsecured or there is a lot of unsecured lending there, mm-hmm. then also uh, it doesn't create a, a huge problem. There, there are regulations for yes. it, but in India is that the problem? In India, it is not seen because mm-hmm. in US, if you see the penetration of credit cards mm-hmm. is something some. another level. Right. People don't use debit cards, right. but in India, uh, I read a report approximately uh, of the whole population. They are given some number, some 994 million people. Million debit cards are there, and there are just 
10 20 million <laughs> credit <laughs> cards which are there in the market so due to this reason and also uh, the mentality which we have right so that might be one major reason ki this market might not uh, exploit to the whole its whole capacity or whole opportunity see uh, it's a it's, i think the primary role is of government like organization would obviously if they are well regulated and they are covered by law they would obviously uh, willing to uh, uh, give the unsecured lending but if the there is not uh, prominent steps on the hands of the by the hands of the government so they are reluctant to uh, lend uh, without any uh, security so that's the reasons why the market is is untapped and these are the potential measures uh, that can be resolved, uh, that can be used to resolve the first one was uh, it is mentioned by the army only the setting up of the dfi uh, it will uh, easily facilitate the bond markets like whenever a company wants to uh, uh, fund, require funds whenever a fund, company requires funds the dfi would uh, uh, yeah, subscribe to, uh, to those bonds yes so this is the one potential measure that would eventually uh, help second one is the development of cds markets anyone knows what is the cds or the credit default trust
acoustic is there and one more which I recently saw is quantum ESG fund. The returns which they have been giving now, it is good. Like, see this quantum thing over past, uh, I think, so started in September something, September 19 and till now it has generated good return of 24% over Nifty which has given only 9%. <laughs> this is obviously citing the COVID fall, Nifty wouldn't go that low. But yeah, and if you consider their portfolio, right, they are majorly invested, like 60-70% of their money is invested into last year. Because these are the companies which can follow the ESG, right, because they, other small caps won't give much importance to ESG in their phase. ESG investing might be the next big thing, it, it can be. It will pick up, sure. Yeah, so it's it's uh, much broader than CSR and yes. I think it's towards than CSR. It involves CSR into it. Yeah. Because it involves CSR into it. Yeah. Yes, this is. And uh, one more thing that I observed, uh, it's like uh, the investment by the mutual funds. Uh, so they are basically uh, investing in short term uh, date funds, uh, rather short term date uh, or short term bonds rather than going for long term bonds. Because the fiasco that Franklin fiasco that happened last year, so they are basically covering us just a two two to three years bond. So the chunk or major chunk of their investment in debt mutual funds comes from the short term or medium term bonds. So that's the one uh, thing I observed while doing these research. It is again the situation they are uh, not hoping for. That is they are hoping for the liabilities to be So they want to make sure that the returns are accumulated right now itself. Okay. We are not betting for long. Mm -hmm. But this is in itself itself is a pessimist view on the economy. Right now, more pessimistic economic picture than company Considering the corporate. So that's it. Okay, so we will now start to discuss about securitization. So, anybody knows anything about this? Have you ever read about? Don't motivate me. Just tell really. Okay. So. What do you know? Something that happened in 2009, the uh, mortgages are uh, clubbed together and they were easily traded. Okay, so the 2008 part is uh, one part of it, but actually it is a very useful and very important concept. So as a finance, we are not really finance students, but we should all uh, we should all <laughs> know about it. So let's uh, let's first understand the balance sheet of a banking company right so this is the liability side i will not say liability i will say sources of funds okay and this is the asset side it is the allocation okay so we uh, all of us know that uh, in a banking company uh, the debt is very high and it is not the debt but just the operation of banking so this is the share capital which is say 20 and uh, this is other debt right which would be deposits or uh, fixed deposits or anything current accounts of uh, normal people right so it is 80 okay so uh, all of us know that there is something called as uh, risk weighted assets or uh, uh, what we can say, what RBI prescribes is there is a ratio. Uh, what do you call it? I forgot. 
risk adjusted uh, no but uh, capital. Ha, capital, capital capital adequacy ratio okay so these are the allocation these are the loans given by banks okay so it's not always 100 but let's assume it's 100 hmm. right so the debt equity ratio is 4 is to 1 and let's assume that uh, the bank cannot the bank cannot uh, go beyond 4 is to 1 right so let's assume that bank has some requirement of uh, capital and uh, these loans these loan are 10 year loans so uh, not uh, not any single uh, cash flow is coming uh, is going to come from these loans so what a bank can do a bank cannot raise a debt on its balance sheet because it cannot go beyond 4 is to 1 because of the risk adjusted uh, asset ratios and capital adequacy issues right it cannot raise share capital because if it starts doing like this it can just uh, going to add share capital and then uh, the investors would ask that you are not doing business you are just asking for share capital mm -hmm. so what banks do so this is bank okay so let's assume it's ashay and then ashay goes to uh, tushar let's say so this is a company and we call it as a special purpose vehicle mm -hmm. right so the purpose of this uh, company it is a company itself it is made for this kind of transactions only made for these kind of transactions this is called a special purpose vehicle it is tushar mm -hmm. so ashay goes to tushar and it says i have 100 rupees in loans 100 rupees in loans so Tushar says what are the kind of loan it is. So Ashay says that uh, 50 rupees of it is housing. Right. Uh, 20 rupees of it is uh, what we can say is education loans. 30 is car loans. Okay. So all of us know that housing and uh, car has a lot of uh, you know security. So let's assume we are in India and <laughs> there is uh, asset back lending. So about this 50 and 30 Tushar is very secured, mm -hmm. right? And about this uh, 20 uh, Tushar is not very, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. he says that there is a risk that doubtful. if I, yeah, it is a doubtful that if I buy, buy these 20 rupees loan, mm -hmm. then uh, I'm not sure whether I be able to recover that 20. Okay. So Ashay wants 100 rupees of this transaction, but Tushar is not willing to pay 100 mm -hmm. all. Tushar is willing to pay these 50 plus 30, 80 plus something. Okay. So they hire Subodh. Okay. So they hire Subodh and tell Subodh ki we will pay you a certain amount of fee. You decide the value at which I should acquire this 100 rupees loan. Okay. So this is the bank of Ashai and these are the 100 rupees loan. Right. So these loans are sold to Tushar. These loans are sold to Tushar at let's say 90 rupees. Okay. So Tushar somewhat, uh, so Tushar has to, so like what Ashay had here, he had some share capital, he had some debt to finance these 100 rupees. But from where will Tushar get 90 rupees to buy these loans from Ashay, right? So any guesses? Okay. So this is what the securitization is all about. So 
on this the special purpose vehicle balance sheet has only two items mm-hmm. on the asset side it has loans acquired from the bank and this is spv which is to share and this is a share cap share capital nominal ten paisa what is it is just for the purpose to establish that it is a company and other all eighty nine point nine are securities right so these securities are form of a debt okay so uh, Tushar goes to Pranav Tushar goes to Jirpe Tushar goes to Sushti and he says that I have ninety rupees in mortgage loans I am uh, it consists of whatever what fifty percent is uh mortgage loans 20% is uh, car loans some are education loans so are you willing to bet on it right because now on these 100 asha doesn't have any right so whatever if i am the i am the housing loan uh, borrower whatever whatever i will pay it will go straight to tushar right so tushar bought this at 90 and he will get 100 rupees theoretically so he will get what 10 by 90 which is What eleven percent? Around eleven percent return. So Tushar goes to uh, Pranav and Jirpe and says, "I have a security. This security will give you eleven percent return." Jirpe says, "Okay, I have uh, other bond markets which provide six percent returns. Share market is volatile, so I will go at eleven percent. But what is the guarantee that this eleven percent will pay me back? Surely, what is the guarantee that it is eleven percent? Right." so tushar goes to another entity named credit rating agency mm-hmm. and it says that you analyze ha huh, goes to whatever moody's or snp and whatever so credit ratings so this debt security and this debt security is uh, then is rated triple a mm-hmm. so triple a For example, specific case, triple A is actually investable. What Tushar said, triple uh, B and below is not investable. So there are various categories: triple A, double A plus A. So triple A is as good as good as government bonds, right? So Jirpe says, okay, my risk is only six percent, right? So actually, government bonds. means if it's triple a my risk is virtually zero the risk is only mm-hmm. mathematical but logically if we see the risk is zero, zero. and i am getting 11% right. so jirpe says okay of course he will buy it so this is the entire uh, structure of securitization so here is the bank bank has some loans bank sells these loans to special purpose vehicle and these loans are financed by mutual fund managers hedge fund managers insurance companies etc can we call it the arc business in reverse oh uh, what is the arc business uh, asset reconstruction company people who buy buy loans from the bank. okay so uh, exactly opposite it is exactly same, same. it is they buy the bad loans right here the bank here bank buys good loans special purpose vehicle buy good loans what you are saying is the bad uh, in this case it is the bad bank itself it does not buy loans 
Split by NPS. It has what? Double B rating. That's all. That's all the difference is. It's all about securitization. Bad bank, asset reconstruction, everything is about securitization. And securitization has very uh, it is not traditional it is very new newer concept to indian markets it was very newer concept to us markets itself uh, during the subprime crisis because uh, you know banks always need cash to do their business i mean if i take reliance industries reliance industries can always uh, take loans from bank so what uh, we are in a situation where reliance industries won't uh, consider this as an option to sell their assets to finance themselves right because uh, when reliance industries is in a situation where they are uh, thinking of liquidating themselves or they are in a very bad position then they will think of selling their assets but for banks it is not the case it does not uh, i mean bank is selling their assets it does not at all mean that bank is in a bad position bank is just trying to finance themselves right so i will now explain what happened in subprime crisis Right, so this is the bank and bank had some loans, mortgage loans, right, so this is 100, they appointed, okay, so I will also, uh, I will also tell you who is the valuation guy, it is some uh, very uh, infamous guy. <laughs> So it's uh, it's an investment banker generally who we call it as a merchant banker. So uh, in USA the transactions are carried out that uh, there is no specific special purpose vehicle. If I am an investment bank, I directly buy loans from Tushar uh, from Ashe, and uh, I directly uh, tell people to subscribe for it. Right, so I direct, uh, directly buy the risk from the bank and uh, sell it to the fund managers or hedge funds. Right, so it, uh, the special purpose vehicle concept is just uh, for the sake of explaining the concept of securitization. So uh, these are the investment bank who value the uh, things and uh, they are the lawyers, they are the chartered accountants. So they do all the legal stuff, they do all the valuation stuff and they uh, charge very low fee for it because for them it is the revenue for right. right so what happened was these mortgages 100 rupees right so what happened was uh, there is a very good documentary inside job so you should watch it it it's way way better than big shot in my opinion so uh, what happened was if i take a loan of 100 rupees it is now a personal scenario then uh, if a house is for 100 rupees there is some down payment mm. right india it may be 20 percent so that means 20 rupees i should pay up front and 80 rupees is loan mm. right so what happened in case of subprime crisis was bank started giving loans of entire 99 rupees and only one rupee was uh, taken as a down payment right so even a beggar could buy a loan worth of millions worth of anywhere between 500k to 1 million and uh, it is just financed by the bank itself he does not need to pay a penny from his pocket right so uh, that's what happened and then if there are 100 people 
who are really eligible for the for the loan there were suddenly 500 people who started buying the houses right because they didn't have to pay their own money right so then the real estate market went up first of all the real estate boom what happened was so actually real estate was just the starting point of it uh, the uh, very bad consequences or uh, only real estate boom was not uh, was not the reason behind the uh, what we could say the extent of the consequences it all started in the financial markets right so uh, what these investment banks did was they all clubbed these loans together and they made a parts of it right so this is mortgage this is education loan this is car loan this is credit card loan and club them together and then created a security named asset backed security right so there was an option you can buy only mortgage backed securities and the credit rating to all of it was given as triple a so there were many allegations that uh, it is kind of a fraud because you cannot give triple a to credit card even a 19 year old student like me can justify it that you cannot give a government bond uh, rating to a credit card payer who is not even uh, sure that he will get his next salary i mean it's not the case that he will not get his salary but we are still cannot compare the government bonds to the credit card bills right so there is a very high chance that we can uh, have uh, default on credit cards but still the securities backed by credit cards were given triple a rating and the what credit rating agencies argued on that part against the congress was that it's our opinion we do not uh, do any uh, what we can say we do not make any uh, yes uh, what uh, yeah so it's merely our opinion you can depend on it if you want it's not your obligation to depend on us we are not any government authorities right so this was the first case the credit rating thing the second case was many hedge funds and mutual funds started investing in these because it's triple rated right so now the hedge funds and mutual funds Right, 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 right. But were hedge funds and mutual funds, the managers which were there, were they so foolish that they didn't even look at yeah, the taxes? Yeah, I will, I will get, yeah. I will tell you. Okay. Okay. So this is the portfolio of a hedge fund, right? So portfolio of a hedge fund consists of shares, right? So shares is a volatile category, right? Mm-hmm. Then it comes government bonds. so the government bonds are very secure and low return so then what securitization offers you is you have two types of or three types of securities i am offering you a fourth option which has a different kind of standard deviation which is risk and different kind of uh, return on it right so you are uh, you are now in a position to choose between four options which is a very good thing so as a hedge fund manager or a mutual fund manager you would want an fourth option so you go to this mortgage backed securities and for you it is same as this 
right it is very secure mm. and rate rate of return is very high so i am getting uh, 15% on triple a rated securities i will definitely buy it right so people started buying it okay so this is the kind of thing that happened in case of hedge funds and mutual funds right so what uh, what i said in the uh, previous presentation that uh, hedge funds are nothing but people right so people have retirement savings in these and people lost all of it because just one this security failed because most of the portfolio allocation was done to this because in shares i have more returns but very more risk in government bonds i have less risk but but less uh, less return so i go to mortgage backed security which has very low risk according to the credit rating agency and very high return right again the same thing uh, you will cover it again or yes i will cover it for oh, your doubt so now what happened was uh, some hedge fund managers realized that uh, we should uh, just like we research the economy in order to research the government bonds and uh, we research the shares or the company's annual report we should also give attention to this mortgage backed security okay so these mortgage backed securities made of 10000s of mortgages right so one securities of uh, let's say 1 million dollars and it is uh, it consists of 10000s of mortgages so who will uh, who is responsible before buying the hedge fund manager right obviously he is uh, he is the uh, responsible person before buying these mortgages so what was shown in the big shot was this is the same thing what you asked me that one hedge fund manager which actually did research before buying the security and he came across the thing that these are triple a rated but the default rates are very high exactly right so if the default rates are very high then why are these triple a rated right so right right one percent then what is the guarantee that he will repay back exactly. right so he came he came across this and then he thought that these values will go down right so what he did he did not invest in these mbs he went to the investment bank and told them i want to short them so on by what instrument you should short i mean you have to create an an instrument by which you can short uh, you can buy an insurance policy on the edge so this is what i was telling i will cover later is credit default swap so this is the credit of mortgage backed security and if the contract uh, the contract condition was this is the mortgage backed security it is traded in the market every day so if its values go, if it uh, if its value go down then uh, the insured party will get payment for the loss it has suffered and if its value go up then the premium i am paying to the insurer for the risk he is taking will also go up right and uh, american and it's not that easy to uh, let's ki uh, me nifty 12000 la short marla itka easy nasta transaction it's very complicated transaction it has many terms and conditions it has uh, very complicated mathematical models and first of all when i buy nifty put options i am only uh, risking myself but as a hedge fund manager 
आई एम रिस्किंग ऑल ऑफ द पीपल आई एम रिप्रेजेंटिंग राइट सो दिस वॉज दिस इज वॉट हैपन्ड इन केस ऑफ क्रेडिट डिफॉल्ट शॉप सो पीपल फर्स्ट स्टार्टेड बाइंग बाइंग क्रेडिट डिफॉल्ट शॉप बिकॉज दे हैड मॉडगेज बैक सिक्योरिटीज इन देअर पोर्टफोलियो राइट सो कमिंग टू द क्वेश्चन ऑफ प्रणव दैट वाई विल एन इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंकर would give insurance why uh, previously you asked right that why would ashay give you now because it is backed by let's say yash ji rupee as a is a borrower he has only paid 1 rupee as a down payment for a 100 rupees loan he don't he doesn't pay let's assume he doesn't pay yes. i have his house i have his house his house is worth 150 so even if i uh, go at 33% loss i will recover my 100 rupees right so uh, in case of mortgage backed security the contract is such same as the bank that if the mortgage backed security goes down then the asset backed which is the mortgage of the house it will repay you right, right? so asha is so confident that the housing price will no go uh, will not go down he will give insurance right so these are the investors of mbs they go to ashay they go to ashay and they say we want to buy insurance so ashay gets a very much revenue on premium premiums he receive premiums right and the mortgage backed security is so strong that its value goes up and up and up and he receives premium at very high price right so so this was the first case second thing which was happened in case of credit default swaps that let's assume this is the financial market this is the this is the total market of mortgage backed securities worth 1000 rupees right these are the investors representing these securities so let's assume that they go to ashay and they buy insurance and they pay him what say let's 150 rupees as a premium right what subot did he he was not an investor in this but he still went to ashay and he bought the uh, swaps he bought the cds right so uh, there was 1000 rupees worth of mortgage backed securities but there were 20 times which was 20000 rupees worth of insurance contracts created in this uh, market right because ashe just because ashe was so sure that the real estate market will not fail and even if it fails the uh, i would be able to recover back my uh, yes i will I, i will be able to recover the principal amount at least right so he was so sure and i will also give you another reason why this will not happen in india because what all this market is not on exchange it is a over the counter basis and it is not at all regulated by the government and in india rbi has specifically issued guidelines to uh, what extent you can uh, securitize your uh, exposures and uh, how much time like today if i issue a housing loan then how much time should i possess it before securitizing it and uh, what are the uh, consequences of credit default swaps creating it so in india it will not not happen uh, again ever uh, not even initially 
एंड वी शुड एक्चुअली थैंक आर बी आई बिकॉज दे हैव इशूड गाइडलाइंस इन यू एस मार्केट इज रेग्युलेटेड टू द एक्सटेंड इट इज ऑन स्टॉक एक्सचेंजेस बिकॉज स्टॉक एक्सचेंज इज रेग्युलेटेड बाय सिक्युरिटीज एंड एक्सचेंज कमिशन द ओवर द काउंटर कॉन्ट्रैक्ट्स इन इंडिया इट डज नॉट हैपन इट सेल्फ ऑन द स्केल इट हैपन्स इन युनाइटेड स्टेट्स ऑफ अमेरिका राइट सो दिस वॉज द थिंग दैट हैपन्ड इन सब प्राइम क्राइसिस सो दिस वॉज द सेकेंड स्टेज राइट सो द इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंकर्स सो राइट सो आई एम अ बैंक आई इशू हंड्रेड रुपीज लोन एंड नाव आई नो दैट ही विल नॉट पे इज हंड्रेड बट आई एम नॉट एट रिस्क बिकॉज आई सेल दिस हंड्रेड टू द नेक्स्ट स्पेशल पर्पज व्हीकल इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंकर द इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंकर हैज हंड्रेड रुपीज बट ही इज ऑल्सो नॉट केयर्ड अबाउट इट बिकॉज ही विल सेल इट टू द नेक्स्ट पर्सन विच इज द हेज फंड मैनेजर एंड हेज फंड हेज फंड मैनेजर इज नॉट एट ऑल कंसर्न बाय इट बिकॉज ही हेज बॉट सी डी एस ऑन इट सो दिस वॉज ए आई जी विच वॉज मेड अ बिग फूल इन दिस क्राइसिस बिकॉज दे सोल्ड अ लॉट ऑफ इन्शुरन्स कॉन्ट्रैक्ट ऑन जस्ट ऑन द बेसिस दैट इट इज जस्ट अ रियल इस्टेट मार्केट एंड दे हैड अ लॉट ऑफ एक्सपोजर द बैंक्स थॉट दे वर स्मार्ट द इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंक्स थॉट दे वर स्मार्ट द हेज फंड मैनेजर्स हु एक्चुअली बॉट पुट ऑप्शन दे थॉट दे वर स्मार्ट दे वर गोइंग टू मेक लाइफ टाइम ऑफ मनी the people who got loans thought that i am uh, i am living like i am living rent free in a big mansion right so i will introduce another concept which is adjustable rate loans so what these are loans so uh, when i go to the bank i will uh, we prepare a loan repayment schedule right what pgip pgip we do right so the uh, principal is uh, 1000 rupees and the interest rate is 8% and we pay we do it accordingly right so uh, in first you have to uh, pay uh, interest more and principal less and then the uh, thing goes like this and at the last installment your principal plus 8% so the whole thing you pay and then your loan is done right so what they did was they told to their borrowers that don't don't pay for first 3 years okay very smart thing don't pay for 3 years start paying for fourth year right so in 2004 when these loans were issued in next two in next 3 years no payment was received right but bank was not at all concerned because they weren't the party to which the payment was going to be made they already sold their loans here itself right. so this party is what should be concerned yeah. and they already had hedged their loss right. so actually this party was to be concerned but they were parting and giving bonuses like anything to their employees and uh, what not i mean seriously it was such foolish thing to do but then i realized it was not foolish because they knew that they were going to be bailed out by government anyway so they did it anyway <laughs> right so seriously i will i will also tell you what happened with aig like right i am right now very criticizing aig but i will tell you what happened with aig also so in these 3 years you will not pay anything and in 2007 you will pay your first what installment emi right You will pay your first EMI, right? But on these thousand rupees, 
the interest is accumulated for three years. So the EMI, which should have been hundred rupees, the first installment was like two fifty rupees directly, right? So I am a borrower. I am no. I don't even have uh, the capacity to pay even twenty five rupees as a uh, EMI, and now I am stuck with two fifty rupees of EMI. So I say okay. I have lived three years in this two thousand four and two thousand seven in this house, so okay. So I am not able to pay. He tells the bank I am not able to pay. Bank says okay, then leave your house, go to somewhere else if you cannot repay this home. So he is happy. He lived three years in a big luxurious mansion. He says okay. So he thought he was over smart. So borrowers, I will just list out people who thought they were smart. investment bankers ha huh. lenders which were the banks hedge fund managers and insurers who sold the credit defaults all of these thought that they are very smart right but at the uh, at the core they did not know that what what is brewing it was a time bomb and it was a time bomb because in these 3 years the cycle was going on when the default rates start started rising in 2007 that everyone started saying that i have a capacity to pay only rupees 25 and i am not able to pay 250 then i will leave my house and so i did say that only 100 100 people were able to pay the loans but loans were given to 500 people right so the 400 people started defaulting 400 defaults okay so these 100 people thought that these 400 people are not paying why should i pay so even these 100 people didn't pay so the total of 500 people didn't pay and the mortgage defaults were so high that the uh, the value of these went down and down and down right so the value of mortgage backed securities went down and as per the contract aig should pay now to the uh, so the hedge fund managers right right so aig had rupees 100 in cash they owe 20000 rupees to the credit default of holders okay so not only aig i will list out the people lemon brothers very uh, okay intelligent bank bestons i guess this was acquired by jp morgan at 2 dollars a share then uh, i guess there was merrill lynch also merrill lynch also so what happened was these banks gave a lot gave a lot of uh, credit default swaps to the other investors and now they are in a situation that they already knew that this is not going to happen they thought this is not going to happen so they gave credit default swaps out of their capacity and just because the sector was not at all regulated by fed it was not regulated by government sec ja sambandhas nahi because it was securities exchange right over the counter cannot be regulated by sec 
फ्रॉड so what they did was they bought what loans from banks what loans from banks sold it to hedge fund managers so they knew what they were selling and then they sold it to hedge fund managers and bought cds on it right so you know what they did right so it is like i know i own a house i know what defect does it have i sell it to tushar and then i buy insurance on house right <laughs> so this is the exact thing what they did and there are literally calls of the brokers of uh, these uh, in these department of loans that they are selling that this xyz uh, 1 billion was a such a shitty deal and this was actually presented before the congress congressman and then few days after it they bought credit default swaps on the same loans which they sold so it is unethical illegal on everything it is insider trading itself first of all because you know that this go this is going to diminish and still you sell it at market price but you shorted at market price they bought i guess 61 billion worth of credit default swaps from aig aig was obviously on the verge of bankruptcy so the government told aig to pay back to goldman sachs and then told aig to surrender your rights to sue goldman sachs for insider trading so we even know that some government officials were involved in this and uh, a lot of people were uh who were the uh, fed chairman or everything the secretary of uh, fed and uh, secretary of new york states were previous board of directors of goldman sachs itself so we all of us know what happened with uh, goldman sachs second thing was what people did was first they were very actually intelligent they shorted triple b they shorted triple b okay because triple b is anyways going down right they shorted triple b and then the triple b value was not going down at all in first two or three years right so they thought triple a 
will not go down will never go down so they started buying insurance on triple b but started selling insurance on triple a to get premiums so they bought these premiums and actually they were very intelligent they just became prey of the fraud that happened in the credit trading agency another intelligent thing which will i tell you it's a bit complicated so these are some triple a rated securities these are some triple b rated securities these are some double b double c rated securities okay so they made parts of it right so most of the double c will not get sold uh, for obvious reasons triple a will get sold double triple b is fine it will get sold won't get sold so let's say it's zero remaining and three of these tranches are remaining and five of these tranches are remaining right so what they did was they clubbed this eight tranches together ha uh-huh. and they created another security and then and then made tranches of this and the double, the triple b is obviously greater than double c right so which had the they did comparative analysis so which is the best rating they gave itself a triple a here then double a so actually which was double b or triple b was rated triple a and no one can do anything about it no one can know what is inside them because we trust the so called opinions of the credit trading agencies right so then the then what happened was then aig was bailed out by the government itself and the Uh, what not so any doubt about the prime crisis self i would insurance fixed are going to get insurance fixed see 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 to the basic doubt some to me this is lic right so the basic business of lic is probability of people dying is very less it is the basic principle in, on which the lic is go right so it is their revenue premiums they get premiums from 100 people at 10 rupees and the insured value is 50 rupees only right so their revenue is 100 and uh, what payments so only 1% dies and you pay them do you pay him 50 and other 99 people are not died so for the person he pays 1 rupee and he gets 50 rupees so it's a very good insurance policy for him and other 99 people they did not die but they had an option if they died they could have got 50 rupees right so the probability of the underlying which is the person in this case going down is very less so that the insurance goes like this and why i don't hesitate paying 1 rupee because if i die i am in a very bad situation so i want a cover of 50 rupees right so now the companies have profit of 50 so their what their payment is 50 and profit is 50 this is a bit of 50% right theoretically which is very good business yes. that's why your doubt is very 
irrational that why would someone sell insurance because it has profit and aig did not think that the uh, real estate prices would go down like i said here 500 people 500 people bought houses so the prices went up so prices went up same way when 500 people defaulted and banks started selling those houses the supply was too high that the prices obviously went down so what banks thought was 150 rupees will go down to 100 but it actually went to literally levels of 5 it was very bad situation and actually who suffered this who suffered this so let's say there is a fund manager he has a he has a mutual fund and he doesn't have cds in his uh, right because there are some in america there is a big culture of hedge funds so not all fund managers are that kind of uh, they don't have an exposure to the finance sector as well uh, they are not at all well versed with these kind of complicated derivative products because it is very easy to say sitting in a room in pune that there, there is some kind of put option and insurance contract but actually making it and paying the money is very complicated and these are very complicated products so some retirement funds and other people don't uh, don't have that kind of exposure people sitting in california don't have an exposure to the wall street right so they what they had in their portfolio they had a lot of mortgage backed securities and all of it went down so at the end of the day these retired people lost their savings and aig was bailed out at 7 some 700 billion dollars so the people who regularly pay their taxes except jeff bezos so <laughs> so they were suffered that's all and people didn't have people lots of people lost their jobs because there was so cash crunch in the market because the financial sector itself has crashed right only only if real estate had crashed then the uh, the extent of the consequences would not have been so big right the ripple effect from the real estate to the to the yes because the real estate is was so much driven by the finance sector itself because real estate you have you need to have, like tushar said in infrastructure and finance sector there is a lot of need for corporate bonds right so i will come back to the securitization part i think the subprime crisis is a very good thing while explaining the securitization so the one of in india india securitization does not have much of the uh, exposure like usa because of first major issue which is taxation and why would i say taxation because a sells its assets to b which is special purpose vehicle so what is the uh, what is the uh, provisions of income tax on, on capital gains here i sell my capital assets to him b sells them to the other funds c so again this is capital gains this is capital gains so what is the uh, provisions of income tax income tax i what i read was there is no such provision about securitization in income tax act 
secondly the accounting issue so how will you account it like today you bought 100 rupees of loans and you sold it for 90 rupees right so it's a very bad transaction but actually i was not at all 100% sure that i will recover 100 yes. i was only 75% sure that ha so 75% was my guess and i hedged my loss at 90 rupees but accounting does not have these kind of things of hedging volatility risk is not a things in our accounting at least i don't i'm not aware if ifrs and other american accounting standards have it but in india we don't have it so the accounting third part is valuation so how to value that uh, we have to buy these loans at 90 rupees right so the chartered accountants and what chief finance chartered financial analysts are people now the world is closer and even people in india have started learning from usa so uh now we can we can find an approach how wall streeters uh, value these kind of securities and implement it here accounting valuation is something which is uh, outside the boundaries of law accounting is something which has to be followed what is written in companies act so you have to follow indes you cannot uh, do it right away or if you are not a listed entity you have to follow as which is similar right so third is valuation fourth is basic thing is markets are not matured which is the very basic thing tushar also covered this point that markets are not matured people are not even aware of share shares people are not aware of bonds people don't know the difference between shares and bonds debt equity trading on equity people don't even know it so if you have to teach people about share capital you have to come up with some kind of series like scam 92 after that no seriously because after that people started researching on their own so just think of what can possibly we introduce to uh, people get well versed with mortgage backed securities something very complicated as mortgage backed securities if you see as a ca students for us shares as a concept is something of very basic right for other people it's very complicated that share market share capital it's it's also part of indian mentality that tu jugar khelto hai tu ye karto hai te karto hai vagare but but uh, then these markets are not uh, matured yet then lack of money market transactions again what tushar said was there is not at all a good presence of money market in india so the mortgage backed securities will get its valuation uh, from the market forces demand supply things right but if there is no good market present in the uh, yes so how will the valuation take place so there is not at all a good presence of money market in india thirdly again there is a law big law Arfeci Act. So, it was brought in 2002. It was again they had some amendments in 2014, 2016. But this is still the prime law 
in India and uh, let me tell you there is no such law in US till now till now because the bankers on Wall Street are lobbying so much against regulation because if the regulation comes in their incentive is will be get questioned the transaction like these what Goldman Sachs did here will get questioned and then how will they exploit general public right so they want to exploit general public so they don't want regulation of government at all right Goldman Sachs I don't think there is such bank as Goldman Sachs in India and I hope there will not be any bank who uh, who exploit general public like this because we cannot expect general public to understand these complicated contracts and acts right even 90% of the chartered accountants won't know this act in detail because why why should they know but the responsibility of people who know it is that they should not exploit other people right it is the responsibility and it comes under ethics it's not law it's under ethics so it's your personal choice to follow the ethics it's your personal choice not to follow ethics if you don't follow ethics and a group of people running the economy and a country comes together and don't follow ethics then something like 2008 happens right uh, as we have seen and I guess that's all on securitization I get the whole process was very clear the uh, problems faced by Indians is also mentioned here and if you have any doubt you can ask them by my side it's over what I wanted to go